wanna ball her like the Wizards Yeah, you know what I mean When I'm blue, I'm on the net Girl, she went shots for the team I was in high school with dreams Now I'm almost looking clean Teaching game like a dean Coach all these girls to a ring Hey guys, welcome to the Locked On Wizards Podcast Part of the Locked On Podcast Network I'm your host Troy Halliburton, and joins me on the other line, a very special guest because he's crossing over from the world of politics to the world of sports just for one night. My guy from Box Media, Aaron Rupa. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Troy. And what, you're only going to have me on for one night ever? I'm already ruled out for future appearances? That's kind of no. tough. Oh, man. Now, you, first of all, you will never be ruled out because we're genuinely friends in real life, so... Like, this is, this is, it's just a pleasure to finally have you on. But at, at the same time, like, I, I don't, you, this is like going into like a straight election season. So I, I'm just really looking out for you, gearing up for everything that you have to be doing on. Oh, man, you know, my evenings, I, I pretty much decompress with NBA basketball, you know, mainly including the Wizards, obviously. So, um, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to, to talk hoops and kind of, take my mind off politics and all of the really serious things that are going on in the world. So, you know, don't worry about that. Okay, of course. And uh, for all the listeners out there, you go follow Aaron and, and look at all the great work that he does. If you've ever seen a viral political video, there's a good percentage chance that it came from Aaron's Twitter account. So, yeah, he, he, he's absolutely the best. But we're not talking about any of that stuff here. We're here to talk about uh, – <laughs> There's the other thing going on in Washington, D.C., which is the Washington Wizards. Um, I feel like the Wizards had a pretty decent showing uh, for themselves at All-Star Weekend. And I just wanted to kind of talk to you about what, what did you think about uh, Mo and Rui's performance in the uh, Rising Stars Challenge and also Davis Berton's, uh being in the three-point contest? Were, were you impressed by uh, that uh, trio of Wizards and what they were able to do in Chicago for All-Star Weekend? Yeah, sure I was. You know, I think it'd be kind of cool if in future years the uh, NBA moved towards having the scoring that they had in the All-Star game for the Rising Stars as well. I think that might, you know, add a little spice. Um, I like what that kind of did in the All-Star game to eliminate fouling at the end of the game and make it more like almost a pickup foul where actually – you know, the, the the incentive was on playing defense and getting stops and not kind of like clock management and things like that. So that's kind of an aside, but that's one thing in future years that they could use to maybe jazz up the Rising Stars game because I was kind of in and out of it. You know, certainly Rui and, and Mo looked good in the first half. I think Rui had, what, like 10 points in the first quarter. And, um, you know, and so they, they acquitted themselves just fine. But, you know, by the end, I mean, let's face it, the fourth quarter of that game, which was cool to watch, but – it was basically a dumb contest, you know, where the, the game was just given up on somewhere in there in the fourth quarter. So um, hard to draw too many conclusions from that. But Davis, I think, obviously, you know, had a good showing in the three-point contest coming in third. And, um, you know, if anybody was going to hit those do zone shots, uh, it was going to be him. And I think he ended up hitting, like, three out of four of them. So, you know, it had been a while. I think you mentioned before we started recording that uh, Brad Beal in, like, 2016 was the last time a wizard had been in the three-point contest so um so that was pretty fun to watch as well and you know myself um moving to dc in 2016 you know as a timberwolves fan before that so um had some really good years with uh, isaiah Ryder in the dunk contest with zach levine in the dunk contest but uh it always adds a little spice when you got a player to root for in either the the dunk contest or the three-point contest so certainly i thought all those guys acquitted themselves well it would have been cool to see brad you know in the all-star game but uh 
you know, I guess he did end up getting robbed. I saw that he was in uh, Florida kind of enjoying his time off. So hopefully he comes back in the second half refresh. Yeah, man, I think that uh, Brad not making the All-Star team may have been a blessing in disguise for he and the Wizards' uh, perspectives for the rest of this season because it's very clear that Brad has been playing uh, an inspired brand of basketball since uh, being snubbed from the All-Star team. But, uh, yeah, no, as far as what we saw from Mo and Rui, like, like you said, I think that, you know, there's not really a lot that you can grab from, you know, that exhibition game that, like you said, was, was – Essentially, a dunk contest for the last you yeah. know, five or six minutes of the game, and so I think that Mo and Rui definitely, uh, <laughs> you know, they they, they definitely uh, showed why they were selected for this contest, and you know, I think that it was yeah. a great marketing opportunity for not only those players as individuals, but for the Wizards and you know everything that they have going on as far as trying to market themselves as an international team, and. You know, were, I, there, I, I, were you there when um, when Wagner did his media availability? I know, Troy, you were up there in Chicago for the, the weekend, but I don't know if you were there when Mo, um, he gave a quote that I thought was really funny where a reporter asked him, you know, what he needs to improve on in his game or something along those lines, and he basically said, you know, I just wish I had a more athletic body, you know, was kind of saying that, you know, he's, he's got some athletic limitations that he's, that he's dealing with, with the, which I thought was actually really honest. I'm sure he kind of melted, meant it in a self-deprecating way, but um, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if you were there for any of those those media sessions. Yeah, so the, I missed the Friday afternoon media sessions, man. I, I, I treated uh, All-Star Weekend like a real stopover. Like, I, I came in hot Friday evening, and I was out Sunday morning <laughs> before the game even started. Nice. But, you know, hey, man, I, I, didn't, I didn't go for the stand for. I went to go and, and network and meet some people and, and you know, look, look, look for some uh, some some different opportunities. But you know, that, that that's a, a whole other pod for another day. But I did get a chance to talk to Mo and Rui, uh, and you know, a few Wizards dignitaries out there. So you know, I I feel like the organization they sent a lot of people out there because you know they're trying to be good at branding themselves. And you know, Mo is doing he's doing a good job of branding himself as a player. And when he talks about you know trying to change his body. I think that that's something that, you know, he's been really working on because, you know, Mo's in the weight room literally like all the time when I when I walk down uh, in, at the Verizon or at Capital One Arena or at the ESA at the team's training facility. You know, Mo is a guy who, who's like, you know, always in the weight room, always blasting music, you know, so he so he's taking this thing very seriously. Rui, Rui's a guy, man, his, his body's already jacked. Like, so I don't know yeah. if he's like, really kind of needs the weight room. I mean, he no. he's like a get-off-the-bus all-star. Like, it's like it's like as soon as he's walking off the bus, you're like, okay, oh, that guy's a basketball player because, like, he's just really built like that. So, but, like I said, I, I, I'm just very impressed by the fact that, you know, these guys that, you know, the Wizards have, they're, they're, they're very mature, and, you know, they were able to handle themselves uh, in, in a way that I think would lead uh, people to believe that, you know, they have possibilities of being, you know, future stars in this league. But, uh, yeah, you know, and that's got to be, you know, it's a solid for Bertans as well, being a, a free agent. It certainly doesn't hurt your value, you know, around the league to kind of get yourself out there in a, in a three-point contest that obviously ended, you know, in a dramatic fashion with Buddy Heel hitting the very last shot to go over, I think it was Devin Booker, and he came in third, so... You know, if anything, that probably made him a few bucks, and you know, probably to you know, it'll probably add to whatever money he's going to get from the Wizards to stay here. But 
you know, so I'm sure I'm sure that if you're Bertanz's agent, you know, you appreciate that um, he had the opportunity to, to shoot enough threes on the Wizards to get and you know, and, sh- and shoot them well enough to get into the three point contest and kind of showcase himself in that way. Yeah, um, I, that, that's actually funny that you mentioned that because uh, any time that I would mention to anybody that I'm uh, with with the DC local media, um, they, they people would ask about Bertans and about wh- whether I think that he would be staying or not, and I feel like. Uh, a lot of the topics, a lot of the conversation I had with people uh, kind of came to the conclusion that that number for David Bertans may not be nearly as high as uh, Wizards fans may think. So I've been seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, that 15 to $20 million floated around. And, um, you know, I, I talked to some people that think that, you know, that 15 might be the high end of, of a number that he could receive. And so I think that that is actually kind of good news for uh, Wizards fans, um, as far as like the you know the potential of keeping Bertans for next year, and so you know I, I honestly I believe that the the moment that um, the Wizards allowed the the trade deadline to pass and they did not move Davis Bertans, I think that that was a very good sign that they have a situation in mind, uh, a number in mind that, you know, that the, they feel comfortable that they might be able to keep Davis Berton. So I, 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 would, yeah. I would feel very confident that he's going to be a wizard for, for at least a couple of years. Right. And, and I also would say, I mean, I thought he had a quote, it was probably a month ago or so now, where he said, someone asked him if he wanted to stay, and he basically said, of course, I love it here, or something to that effect, which is a lot more definitive than you get. You know, I'm still kind of traumatized as a Nationals fan by the MP Rendon Stuff. And, you know, the writing on the wall was, was pretty apparent there because Rendon never really gave a direct answer and kind of dragged the fans at times for not coming out, you know. And it seemed like with Bertans, he was very unequivocal that he likes playing here and he wants to stay. So, you know, if that's the case, like you said, um, you know, Tommy Shepard has been pretty on top of things. It, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense not to cash him in, you know, even for a second, Um if you thought it was going to be hard to keep him, and their books are in such a state where they could, you know, to, to quote the, the latest meme on Twitter, they could overpay him a little bit as a treat, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, 12, 12 million, 10 to 12, I think would be ideal. I mean, you know, I think Bertans definitely has his limitations on the defensive end, and defensive rebounding is kind of an issue for him. So it's always kind of tough to really pay top dollar for a, for a role player, but he's a very, very good role player in that, you know, he's one of the, the best three-point shooters in the league. And, you know, really I think that's been one of the most fun things to watch on the floor this year for the Wizards are the nights when Bertans gets hot and those threes start falling. I mean, it's really kind of an unparalleled, unparalleled experience when he's pulling up from 30 feet. Um, you know, it's really, really fun to watch, and, you know, the crowd gets into it, and it's great. So, um, you know, even if he does have his limitations, I'm totally supportive of them, you know, paying him a fair contract to stay. Yeah, man, I, I got I to, gotta, like, check the temperature or something because you're saying way too many nice things about Dalvin's birth times right now, man. I, I don't know. This is not this is in the air, and I know. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, I, backstory is I've sent Troy a few DMs at games, you know, kind of pointing out that uh, there are times where Berton, you know, when he's trying to box people out, when he's trying to play defense, I um, mean, you know, he plays defense kind of like a two guard, you know, where, you know, he can kind of move and, you know, he's in position, but if, you know, if he has to box somebody out or any sort of, you know, anything that requires strength, he's kind of getting pushed around. And I think 
at his age, what he's 27, I believe. Um, yeah. You know, he kind of is what he is. It's not, you know, it's not a, not a situation where some young guys, um, you hope that they can add strength and, you know, kind of improve that, that part of their game. I mean, I think he kind of is what he is, but, you know, you hope that um, you can put guys around him, and I think Wagner ideally could kind of be that. You know, Wagner isn't going to be a great rim protector, but he's a guy at least who I think can kind of box out and, um, you know, be a good positional team rebounder. And, you know, because I think that's been kind of a low-key, huge shortcoming for this team, even as their defense has improved in the post-IT era, is that they're still just getting absolutely killed on the defensive glass. And, um, you know, a guy, you know, Brian's had a hard time with that. You know, they just haven't really had Mahimi, you know, given how big he is, isn't a great rebounder. But, um, you know, Wagner, at least getting him healthy, I think helps a little bit with that. Yeah, it, it definitely helps a little bit. And I think, you know, when, when you talk about uh, Bertrand and the uh, glaring weaknesses in this game, I think that, you know, it, it's very apparent, you know, what he's not good at. And, you know, I, I think that uh, the team is willing to uh, give up uh, the, the, those things, like, with the opportunity cost of knowing that the value that he brings on the offensive end is really kind of transcendent for a player of his size and his position. So, you know, when we're talking about a guy who's 6'10 and can shoot the way he does, I mean, that's mm-hmm. such a unique talent, uh, a unique talent that, you know, I think that the team is willing to give up what he, what, what he doesn't bring, you know, as far as uh, attacking the defensive glass and uh, some of his other defensive shortcomings. Uh, for 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 that special talent of, of him being able to pull up from you know thirty five feet thirty six feet like that's that he's really he's really such a, a, a I don't know he, he's one of one so as far as you know his height and his shooting ability but uh, there's something that you just uh, mentioned like as far as the uh, post it defense and I, I feel like that that is uh, something that that would be very important for uh, the team as they make this uh, run, you know, over the course of the of the rest of the season, over these last 30 games to, to get into the playoffs. Like, this team is a, is a very different team from the Wizards that we've uh, come to watch over the first 50 games of the season. Well, what, what do you think besides just removing IT from the team's starting lineup? It, it will be some of the keys that will help this team make a, a run towards the end of the season. Yeah, uh, well, I think that's the biggest one. You know, uh, I saw Fred Katz had a nice kind of table setter uh, yesterday, the day before, in the Athletic that uh, cited some stats where since IT, I believe his last 10 games, so it probably includes a couple that IT still played in, but, you know, their defense has been top 10 in the NBA. Um, they're still rated last overall, but they're right on Cleveland's tail now, you know, so they're they're still last, but they've gone from being historically, you know, one of the the worst defenses of all time bad to maybe just, you know, worse than the league bad right now. So, you know, I think that really can't be understated. And that's, you know, for as many things as I want to praise Scott Brooks for this season, uh, the one that, you know, kind of sticks in my craw a little bit is just that we had to watch so much IT in the first half. And, you know, I do really wonder, um, you know, if they would have used him in that role that I thought he was suited for, which was kind of like a microwave guy off the bench, um, you know, playing 10, 15 minutes a night like he did right when he started the season. You know, he was hurt to begin with, but then, you know, five or six games in, um, you know, they they brought him off the bench for a handful of games before moving him into the starting lineup. You know, I just kind of wonder, you think some of those heartbreaking, you know, whether it's the Bulls game at home or, 
you know, some of those other heartbreakers that they lost, uh, if they just could have gotten a few more stops down the stretch, um, where this team could be because, you know, as you mentioned, um, heading into the last 30 games, there's three games out of the eight spot, I believe only two back in the loss column, but because they have one of the toughest schedules down the stretch, uh, 538, I think, gives them like an 8% shot of making yeah. the playoffs, which is, you know, less than you would think just kind of looking at their record right now and looking at how they've played lately. So, you know, I do think that a, a thing that is kind of a, a reason for some optimism is that they're finally getting healthier now. You know, this is pretty much at this point that uh, when TV gets back, the, the full roster that they're going to have. And I think that definitely helps because obviously for some stretches there, I mean, they were basically half their team was G League, you know, or uh, equivalent to that. So, you know, they finally got their guys back. But, uh, you know, I think getting Napier actually was kind of a low-key good pickup. Um, he was a guy I watched a lot of when he was playing for the Timberwolves this year. And, you know, before they blew that team up, uh, was arguably for a stretch their best player, which isn't saying a whole lot, but, you know, definitely a serviceable backup point guard who can start in a pinch. And I think you've already seen, you know, especially um, the Dallas game, he had a, you know, his first game, he had a positive impact in that game and has been playing well overall. So, you know, in terms of on the floor, I mean, I just, I think, like you mentioned, you know, just the addition by subtraction by key will, will bring the defense from being league worst to hopefully, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe 22nd, 23rd worst in the league. And, you know, they've had basically a top 10 offense. So, you know, you just hope that um, if they can get hot, you know, which, uh, you know, kind of, I want to put hot kind of in quotes, but, you know, like 17 and 13 down the stretch, something like that might be enough you know, with the way the East is shaking out again this year where you might have two below 500 teams in the playoffs. Um, you know, that shouldn't be the long-term goal, but, you know, myself as a, as a season ticket holder and someone who rooted for the Timberwolves for many, many, many years, you know, 13 consecutive years didn't make the playoffs before I moved to D.C., you know, you just like to see meaningful basketball games down the stretch. So, you know, if, if the Wizards can keep it up despite the tough schedule and kind of stay on the tail of some of these teams, you know, I think, It'll be another reason to generate some buzz uh, heading into the off season, and I think with Wall coming back, which will be a huge narrative next year, you know they'll be able to sell some hope and uh, hopefully have a more competitive year next year. So it's kind of you know in some ways it kind of feels like a bonus that we're even having a discussion deep into February about possible you know possible playoff run. Yeah, I mean it, it's definitely a bonus, but I, I just personally never really understood the. I don't know, the kind of, uh, I don't know, fan narrative from a lot of Wizards fans that don't see the value in having the team try to make the playoffs. Like, especially yeah. in a year where, you know, this draft is like, th th this is not a very strong draft at the top. So to me, there isn't that much more value in getting the, you know, say the seventh pick as opposed to the, the 15th pick in, a, in this year's draft. Like, I think there is much more value to be had uh, from from a tangible uh, uh, standpoint, from from just the organization, from a cultural standpoint, to have them compete and try to make the playoffs uh, for this season, I think that they, that there's much more value in that than you know six or seven spots in the in, in this year's NBA draft. But you know, I I, I oh, understand. I yeah, yeah, I understand both sides of this argument. But you know, as you said, like it's just coincidental that. You know, your two favorite teams are the, you know, the Timberwolves and the Wizards. And as you said, being a Timberwolves fan, watching them go, you know, 13 years uh, without making the playoffs, I'm sure that has to be very agonizing from a fan standpoint. And so, you know, the, the, the Wizards, you know, we, we, it, we, we've seen a lot of downtime, and I, mm -hmm. I feel like we deserve to be able to root for something positive for once. 
So yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm all for it. Going for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I'm I'm 100% with you. And you know, my thing is, I just think that um, you know, life in some ways is too short to kind of just throw seasons away as a fan or even as an organization. And I guess sometimes you have to do it because um, you know, if you don't, you're going to be kind of mired in mediocrity. But um, which is maybe another conversation to to have about the Wizards at some point is kind of what the big picture is here because I do kind of wonder, you know, you can sort of see the makings of next year being another year of kind of gunning for the four seed, which ironically was kind of the whole thing, you know, obviously by the end of the Ernie era, they weren't even in the mix for that, but, you know, I think that was a lot of the fan frustration, you know, heading into like the 17-18 season was that there wasn't really a path towards being any better than a second-round team. And so, you know, are we just kind of repeating that by running back the wall Beal thing, you know, all these years later? But the thing I will say is that, you know, it's kind of thinking about this uh, today is, you know, when you compare where this team is at now to where they were at a year ago, um, you know, they're in much better shape now. And so you do have to give, you know, Shepard a ton of credit for hitting on Rui in the draft. I mean, I'll tell you, the Timberwolves took Jared Culver above Rui, and that's looking, you know, that's looking like a really shaky pick. So, um, you know, Rui was definitely a very solid pick where the Wizards got him. And, you know, you have another lottery pick probably coming this year. You know, Beal has kept up his level of play from last year for the most part. So, um, you know, and some of the young guys, Bonga developing, Bertans, Wagner, I mean, you can kind of see the makings of a playoff team next year, even if, you know, there's still going to be those questions about whether, you know, if John Wall and Bradley Beal are your best players, how far that can take you. But when you think back last year watching Trevor Ariza, Bobby Portis, uh, Jabari Parker, you know, and, and kind of stumble towards the finish line of a season that really wasn't that much better than this one in terms of wins and losses, um, certainly the direction forward for this team um, is a lot more promising this year, even if I think you know, you could kind of have that big-picture argument about whether this is really the right path to be on if the ultimate goal is to contend for and hopefully win a championship because it seems like they're a long, long way from that. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems that they're a long way from that, but I do think that when you compare, you know, this uh, current iteration of the Wall and Bill uh, era in D.C., you know, that, that they before that they were always surrounded by a lot of older uh, veteran type of players. And, you know, er Ernie Grunfeld loves his proven veterans. And, you know, I think that, you know, this Tommy Shepard era shows that, you know, this is going to be completely different because a lot of the ancillary players are, you know, kind of younger project, uh, lottery ticket type of, you know, guys where, you know, when, when you have seven guys on the roster who are 24 years of age or younger. And so when you look at, you know, guys like uh, Rui and Bonga and, and Mo Wagner and, you know, even guys like Garrison Matthews or Jerome Robinson, who they recently traded for. You know, these are guys who uh, who are still very young. And, you know, and, and at the very case of uh, Rui and Mo Wagner, you know, still really have high ceilings as far as what they can be and what they can develop into. And so, you know, I, I think that this team is in a uh, much better position than they were uh, just a year ago, and so you know, I, I'm excited to see where it goes. But um, I, I want to take a quick break, and when we come back on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about how realistic their chances are of actually trying to compete and make the playoffs this year. I think we've kind of both hinted at this that it, it might not be as realistic as as we all wanted to make it think. 
but it's something that I'm going to root for. But, we'll, we'll, hey, we'll take a quick break, and on the other side, we'll really break down some numbers to try to figure this thing out here. All right, now, Aaron, we're coming back, man. I, I, I want to uh, talk about some strength of schedule numbers, and that will help us try to uh, properly predict uh, what we think the Wizards can do. So um, I, I'm on uh, Tankathon.com, and they have uh, – hey, first, first of all, shout out to Tankathon because, like, their, their accuracy for their strength of schedule, their uh, NBA draft stuff, mock draft for all sports, it's it, it's actually very valid and very accurate information, um, but yeah, no. On, on Tankathon, they actually have the Wizards uh, rated with the fourth highest uh, uh, team in terms of strength of schedule. Uh, the yeah. Wizards opponents uh, have, have a winning percentage of what five thirty one as far as their strength of schedule left, and so that 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 actually does not bode well for them uh, no. potentially, you know, getting hot. As, as we would like to say, going down the stretch, uh, I know it's going to be tough for them because you know they have three matchups with the uh, with the Bucks, who are the best team in the NBA, uh, who are they're actually <laughs> quietly competing to have the best regular season record in NBA history. Um, so they they got three matchups against them. They still have to play the Lakers. They have to play the uh, the Raptors again, the Celtics. Like they they've got some games that you know on their schedule where you can pretty much almost pencil in a loss for them. Whereas a team like the uh, Orlando Magic, who is currently in the eighth seed and only three games in front of the Wizards, you know their, their schedule is much easier. They have the the twenty eighth the twenty eighth ranked uh, strength of schedule left. So that means they're 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 going to be playing a lot of cupcakes. They got a lot of games versus Cleveland and the Timberwolves and the Knicks. So you know it, it's going to be interesting to 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 see. Uh, how how these teams are going to be able to to finish out? What, what what do you think about you know the Wizards and where they are right now and and what what kind of record do you think they'll finish with, with them with them having twenty nine games left? Well, five thirty eight has them pegged at uh, thirty and fifty two at the end of the season, which uh, sounds about right to me. I mean, you know, the only reason we're really able to even have this conversation is because of the seven and eight seeds in the East are once again going to be, you know, 37, 38 win teams. And that was kind of obvious, I think, or, you know, it was likely coming into the season that that was going to be the case. And so, you know, that was a take that I kind of dabbled with over the summer was like the contrarian Wizards might make the playoffs take. And it mainly had to do with the fact that the East was going to be really bad at the bottom. And so it's, you know, really not that hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's relatively speaking not that hard to win, you know, 37, 38 games in the NBA, but, you know, I, I will say that it, it doesn't really seem like the team, um, at least Scott Brooks, has that level of belief that they can do it. Uh, I think this was, again, in Fred's piece in The Athletic from uh, over the All-Star break where there was, you know, basically Fred was asking him uh, what he thinks about the team's chances to make the playoffs, and his quotes were very equivocal where he was kind of like, it's there, you know, but we're not going to compromise what we're doing, you know, and it, it sounded like the priority was still going to be on developing the young guys, which... I mean, the whole team is basically young guys, so, um, you know, there's probably not a, a whole lot of a drop-off between doing that and any other option that they might have. But um, I don't think it's, it's very likely. I will say I, I enjoy the fact that because they've had a run now, I think it's about 20 games where they've been playing 500 and they've been 
uh, I think like seven and five in their last 12. You know, it, it's great that we do have some meaningful games here coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, you know, they have Cleveland on Friday, which given the chaos surrounding Cleveland and the fact that they're one of the worst teams in the league, you would hope would be a win at home. And then they have another winnable game against Chicago before things kind of pick up from there with uh, Milwaukee on Monday. But, you know, I'd say it's pretty unlikely, but that never really should have been the goal this season. And, um, you know, I think the team overall has been um, a little bit more fun than could have been expected. And I think some of the young guys, you know, particularly Bonga, uh, particularly Wagner, um, are guys where you can see them having a role on a good team. And, uh, you know, Tommy has been a master of, of executing these trades, even with a guy like Jerome Robinson, who clearly you can see that, you know, has a, a polished offensive game and, you know, knows what to do on defense. And, you know, Tommy's been a master at these trades of basically getting these guys for free. And, you know, it, it's so much – it's so refreshing to get a, a look at a guy like a Jerome Robinson as opposed to last year when, we, you know, he was getting a look at Bobby Portis and Jabari Parker down the stretch. So even just the approach has been – um, you know, kind of a breath of fresh air from what fans have gotten used to the last couple of years. But, you know, 538, which factors in, obviously, the strength of schedule and, um, you know, considers all the different variables as, as it being very unlikely for the Wizards. I mean, basically an equivalent shot with the Bulls, who I think currently are like two games behind them. So, you know, I'm certainly not holding my breath. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not investing a lot of uh, emotional hope that, that they're going to get there this year. But, um, you know, if they win these two games coming out of the break, um, you know, there'll still be 11 games under 500, but at that point, you know, if passes precedent, the teams ahead of them will probably drop one of those games. And, you know, once you get to about two games out, you're kind of in striking range. So um, I know that's, you know, a lot of fans who have more of a long-term view on it would probably prefer that, you know, the Wizards lose more games to, to increase their odds in the lottery. But, you know, honestly, with the way that the odds were changed last year, that's not the sure thing that it used to be. So, you know, who's to say that even if they finish with the 7th or 8th worst record in the league or ninth or 10th, that they couldn't be a team like New Orleans last year and end up getting lucky in the lottery. So, um, you know, uh, I'm certainly not holding out uh, too much hope, but I also think that some of the analyses that look too far down the line with strength of, strength of schedule and those things, um, you know, you kind of, I think, have to look at it more in short segments of time because things can change, you know, players get hurt. In Milwaukee's case, if they played him late in the season, who knows what they'll have even to play for at that point if they have the top seed locked up. So, you know, things, things can change, and, you know, the, the strength of schedule isn't the final word, but um, I certainly think given that we haven't seen this Wizards team really sustain success for more than, you know, I think their longest win streak has been three games. Um, you know, it's hard to see them getting on the type of run that would be required. You know, I also just don't really see on the roster – who those breakout players would be that would take their team performance up another level at this point. I mean, I think Brad's been playing really, 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 really good, but I don't know how much more you can expect out of him. And, you know, I mean, it seems like uh, guys are kind of, you know, they're kind of maximizing what they can do in a lot of respects right now. So, I, I you know, again, I'm not expecting it, but, you know, it, it is fun to kind of dream about it. And, you know, I am kind of thrilled to even to look at 538 here and see that, Wizard, that the Wizards are one of the teams that still does actually have a shot, you know, with all these dregs at the bottom who are less than 1%, you know, at least, at least there is a path at this point for the Wizards. Yeah, no, I, I think that, that at least that there is a path. And um, <laughs> there's something that you said that, that it kind of stuck out to me, that you said that, you know, a, a, lot, a, a lot of people don't understand why they're doing this. Right? I, and I'm sitting here, I'm thinking of the reason why they should go for it. It's because, I mean, they're in a very precarious position right now with the state of their current superstar, 
and, you know, Brad Bill's yep. relationship with the franchise. And so I think that it's important for them to, you know, at least put forth uh, effort and to let and to show Brad and his agent, Mark Baldwin, that, you know, this is a team that has promise and that this is a place that Brad uh, should probably want to stay and, and possibly, you know, try to build with. And I think that, you know, all of these games matter. The last, these last 29 games are, you, you know, going to help. Uh, you know, Brad, when he sits down with his agent, Mark Bartleson, this summer, and they start constructing a plan for the rest of his career, that, you know, the the, the way that they finish out this season will be a factor into that. And so yeah, I, I don't you... want them to come out come out there and try to dog it and, you know, have him yeah. get pissed off. And, you know, then, then he's going to go back. Because, you know, if, when you look at it, if, if, you know, if the Wizards, if there's no path for them to, you know, compete, and, you know, he's not making all-stars because, you know, this team isn't popular and, you know, they're not getting a lot of votes and he's not, you know, you know, going and playing in these all-star games. He's not getting the recognition that he deserves. Well, then at, that, at what point will he say, you know, maybe it'll be time for a change for him? So yeah. I, I think I have that a question this is for you on Go ahead. Yeah, because I, I'm, I'm, I have a question for you, you know, being around the team. Like, cause I, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Brad's contract situation at this point is that he has one more year and then an opt-out, I think, after that. He has a player option after next season. No, so he has two years. He, the Wizards will control Brad's rights for two more seasons. So because okay. he had two years left on his deal, which was one year this year, and then he would have had another year and then he would have been a free agent. But what happened was he signed a contract extension. Now, they offered him – uh, I believe it was like three years, $125 million, something like that for his contract extension. He didn't sign a three-year deal. He essentially did what uh, LeBron was doing when he went back to Cleveland. He was doing the one plus one. So essentially right. the most that the Wizards could get from him is two more years, but they only guaranteed themselves one more year on his deal. So okay. That was, that I just was, wasn't so, sure when that option was. Exactly. But, so but, after, but you think it, it seems unlikely that they would that they would entertain to me, and and this is where I'm kind of wondering if if you're on the same page being around the team and the the organization more than I am, where it seems really unlikely to me that they would entertain trading him this off season unless he really demanded it, because it does kind of feel like they're building towards something next year. You're going to have to evaluate where Walls at. They're going to have to evaluate, you know, if they bring back Bertans, you know, because part of the idea of Bertans is that he and John Wall will play great together. John will dime him up for three-pointers. And so I would be very surprised, you know, if that was a bridge they had to cross this summer in terms of trying to trade Brad. But I suppose if he, you know, if he really feels like this team isn't going to be, you know, if, if he's dissatisfied with the, the overall situation with the franchise, I suppose, you know, He's close enough to the end, you know, close enough to his opt-out um, where he could leverage his way out possibly. Yeah, I, I would say that the chances of him getting traded this summer are slim to none uh, just yeah. because the franchise, I mean, like I said, they have his rights for two more years. And the franchise itself is invested in, you know, this retool rather than rebuild. So I think that, you know, the Ted Leonsis and Tommy Shepard, they owe it to themselves. And I think Brad owes it to them because he's under contract to at least see if they can make one more run at it. And so, you know, I think that uh, I'd say the earliest that I could possibly see Brad being traded would be the trade de deadline of next year. So yeah. especially a year from now. 
Now, if they start the season next year and it doesn't go well and it's, and it's very apparent to all the parties involved that this thing isn't going to work, then I'd say that there is a chance that he could be moved as early as next year. But even still, like, I, I, I think that, um, it, like I said, I think that it'll be safe for him to play at least one more year in D.C. just because it, it makes the most sense. But, like I said, all yeah. of these all of these things are going to be factors in his decision as far as, you know, what he wants to say to Tommy Shepard and what he wants to say to the rest of the organization. So, you know, if they if they can go on a run here, let's say they don't even make the playoffs, but if they can go on a run and they can get high, they can finish with, you know, the 33 wins, 35 wins, <laughs> you know, barely miss out on the playoffs. Uh, I think that, you know, that'll be a good thing for Brad – uh, to to kind of assume that they'll be able to you know kind of get it together and that they're at least moving in the right direction. First of all, as, as a guy who has been uh, who has been hammering this uh, this over under since since last August, that twenty seven and a half win number, I, I need I need this team to get to thirty wins very badly. So. <laughs> oh, you're in good shape with that. You're in good shape. I, with that I, I hope yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Hey, it, it wasn't always looking that good. Uh, for the entirety no. of the season, I'll say that. Well, that's yeah, and it, you know, you, you kind of you said something that also you know brought to mind when you asked earlier what the team needs to do, you know, to kind of put themselves in the spot to make the playoffs. I mean, another thing, you know, as I'm thinking about this, and you're talking about Brad, is that you know I was kind of su- surprised. I just had an opportunity to you know some of these stats were um, uh, tweeted in, or you know, I think actually maybe on one of your podcasts too, this came up that that Brad. Um, you know, in terms of defensive rating, is like one of the absolute worst guards in the league this year. Which kind of, you know, when you watch watch the games, I mean, that doesn't really um, the eye test doesn't really back that up for me, which is kind of interesting. But you know, I, I do wonder if, if you know, again, not to hammer too much on on IT because I, you know, I, I feel bad doing that. But you know, I do wonder if just not having to play, you know, not having to try and compensate for IT's shortcomings on defense will lead to a little bit of a better defensive effort from Brad because, you know, certainly he has all the tools to be a solid NBA defender. And, you know, some of those numbers I'm sure have to do with just the the bad situation around him. But, you know, if they could get a little bit more out of him on the defensive end, you know, granted maybe he's giving so much on offense that that's kind of a, a trade-off that, you know, the team just has to live with. But, um, you know, you see some of those numbers that rate him as like one of the lowest guards in the NBA in terms of defensive rating. Um, you know, that certainly shocked me. Yeah, I, I would say that it was less shocking to me for my eye test just because I could see him uh, doing the, 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 the his best John Wall impression where he would just die <laughs> on screens. Like, he, he didn't yeah. – he, he hasn't really tried to get through a lot of screens this year. But, like I said, like you said, I think that his effort level probably wasn't uh, as attentive and as high as he wanted it to be because of the fact that, you know, he and everybody else on the team knows that they have this, this, this blatant hole on the defensive side of the ball. And so I think that a lot of people probably weren't giving up their effort because they know that, all right, I could try really hard. We could try and, and stop teams for, you know, 22 seconds of a possession. But all it takes is that one swing pass and, you know, you get the ball to ITs, man, and, you know, we just really wasted – all of this time and, and all of this effort, and so honestly, what I, and, and as you said, we're not. I'm not here to disparage Isaiah Thomas because <laughs> it's really low hanging fruit at this point. Yeah. But 
I, I I would be very much surprised if you know a lot of the smart wizards people like Brett Greenberg, like if they if they don't just burn all of the stats from it's like forty forty uh spurt forty game spurt with the wizards, like it's almost as though you you, you can only evaluate the team for you know the the minutes that they didn't play with Isaiah Thomas because I mean he honestly was just that big of a black hole on the defensive end. And so, you know, I, I and that that's actually that would be the one uh caveat that would actually lead me to believe that, you know, this team might be able to go on a little run and get hot and try to make the playoffs. Just because, you know, I know five thirty eight takes a lot of these things into account, but you know, this is a completely different team without having yeah. Isaiah Thomas play 25 minutes a night. And so, you know, when, when you take that into account and you look at what they could potentially do uh, going up against uh, some, some some of these other teams, you know, like I said, granted, they, they have a tough uh, strength of schedule and they've already been swept by the Orlando Magic, who are the team directly in front of them. But, you know, anything is possible. And I, and I do believe that the Wizards – are going to play significantly better than they did play for the first 50 games of this year. So one thing I'll add to that, too, is that, um, I, you know, I do think that there is kind of the the reality that this roster does have some big defensive limitations. I mean, they basically got no rim protection outside of Mahimni. Um, You know, the, the free, you know beyond Brad, it's, I guess Bonga can, you know, Bonga can play some perimeter defense, but, even even after IT has departed, I mean, they give up way too many wide-open threes. Uh, they have a hard time guarding the three-point line. So, you know, I, I do kind of think that um, you look at this offense, which has consistently been right around, you know, the top ten offense in the league, um, that gives you hope that if they could just kind of crank up the defense to a mediocre level, that they'd be in the East, the playoff, a bottom, bottom tier, but a playoff-caliber team. But I do think, you know, I mean, these are these are things also that are going to be relevant going into the roster construction for next year is, you know, where do you find a five or even a four who can provide you with some some rim protection? You know, where do you get guys who can reliably man up on the perimeter and, and kind of prevent guys from getting to the rim in the first place? And um, I don't see a lot of guys on this roster, you know, who, who are going to be able to kind of bolster the defense in the way that is probably needed to make a playoff run. Um, but certainly, you know, Again, maybe this will be the last time I take a shot at IT, at IT in this podcast, but certainly getting rid of him was a good start toward, you know, playing better defense. Hey, man, if you say that there are no guys who are going to be able to help uh, on the defensive end for this season, I, I would like to, uh, as a member of the Isak Bonga fan club, I would like to uh, nominate my guy as, as the next uh, great NBA defensive stopper and, and as a guy that Wizards fans Will soon come to grow in love. <laughs> oh, I'm a fan. I'm a you know I'm I'm certainly a fan of Bonga. Um, I I haven't seen him. Uh, you know, again, this will maybe you know it's kind of a deep cut for for any of your listeners who may have watched some Timberwolves games in the mid uh, off. But he kind of reminds me of like a Trenton Hassel. Remember him? Like a, you know, just a solid defensive player. You know, kind of unspectacular on offense. But if you you know he he can euro step his way to the hoop every now and then, finish around the rim. And he's hitting that. He hits the corner three, um, which impresses me because he looks like he's kind of off balance when he shoots a lot of the time. He sort of fades away. Um, so I never think his shot's going in, but, you know, he gets that nice arc on the three-pointer, and he's been hitting it at a decent clip. Um, I have not, you know, again, this is kind of eye test. I haven't seen the makings of, like, a shutdown defender, but 
Um, you know, I think he's one of the better better rated, if not the best rated, defenders that they have on their team statistically. And, you know, for a guy who's 19 uh, to be playing at that level, I mean, certainly, you know, again, he's another one of the guys that Tommy basically got for free. And, you know, he certainly is a guy that you would think would be in the mix next year for a starting, you know, for a starting, maybe starting at the three or being the first or second guy off the bench. So, um, you know, certainly to get that sort of production out of a guy that you basically took a flyer on is impressive. But not not trying to minimize that at all. I'm just, I'm not sure that I see the makings of a, you know, an all-NBA or an all-NBA defender necessarily. But um, that's probably asking for a lot at this stage in his career anyway. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely asking a lot. I, I just, I just had to gas him up just because I see a lot of uh, uh, unnecessary slander for Bonga, and you know, I've been thoroughly impressed for you know a guy who you know had zero expectations coming into the year and has shown some flashes of a guy that I think that Wizards fans could be excited to watch uh, in the years to come. Yeah, but, let me also say I thought I thought John had a really good comp, John Wall, who did. Um, commentary for the first quarter, I think it was of the uh, Dallas game, but, you know, Bonga came up uh, during, the, during the course of his commentary, and he compared it to Trevor Ariza, uh, which I thought was actually a pretty good comp. You, know, you can kind of see, you know, defensive playmaker, kind of disruptive, gets some passing lanes, can hit that three, can draw some contact. Um, you know, certainly um, if, if his career in any way ends up mirroring the production that Ariza had over all these years, I mean, you know, you that's absolutely, you know, that'd be a phenomenal outcome for him. So, and that's, you know, high praise from a guy who uh, John really, you know, got paid, Trevor Reza, who had some really good years playing here. So, um, you know, that, that John sees that sort of upside in him, I think, is a really good sign. Yeah, no, I, honestly, uh, I, I kind of agree with John that, you know, at least as far as his defensive instincts that, you know, and Trevor Ariza was never really like that shutdown defender guy either, no. but he, he was a good on-ball defender and an even better team defender because of, you know, some of his uh, his length and his anticipation skills. And I think that Bonga has exhibited a lot of those same attributes uh, in his uh, short time of, with, with playing with the Wizards. And so, you know, if he can continue to develop, you know, if Bunga turns into even, you know, 75% of the player that Trevor Ariza was, like, I think that that is a, that's a home run for the Wizards, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that Ariza still is. I mean, he's, you know, he's actually having a, a decent run with Portland right now. So, kind of hard to believe given how he played here last year. But, uh, you know, he's definitely had longevity in the league. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm officially retired from the uh, Trevor Ariza, uh, Tre- Trevor Ariza, Washington D.C. Uh, era. Like, just to even be commented on that because because of all the flack that you know people receive or I receive. But you know what? Oh yeah, yeah man, you you liked that trade, didn't you? The, I did. The, I did like the trade. Uh, I yeah. think that you know Trevor Ariza. There's from from every metric that you could possibly look at, Trevor Ariza was a better player. Last year, before they made their trade, before he was a better player than Kelly Oubre, and I know that Kelly Oubre yeah. is young, and he is a guy who Wizards fans would like to comment on every time that he has a good game. But I've still yet to find the Wizard fan who would have wanted to pay him fifteen million dollars a year. So you know that's neither here nor there. But yeah. you know, I, I think that I think that right now, considering what they did, I think that they're in the best possible position. Like, I, I think that this team having Kelly Oubre would, would not be any better right now than they currently are. And this team it, it, it would be in a financial bind having to play a guy who does not affect 
winning and losing, you know, that, that type of money. So, you know, I, I'm kind of a weird subplot coming out of, it was definitely a weird subplot during the trade deadline that suddenly, suddenly Phoenix, you know, was desperate to move Ubre, um, like the day of the trading deadline, which made very little sense to me. But then, you know, then of course they, um, he, he was benched from starting the, their first game after the deadline for a disciplinary reason. So I don't know. I mean, it seems like maybe there was something, you know, that, that didn't quite, uh, surface publicly going on there, you know, some, some sort of discontent. Cause, Statistically, he's having his best season, and you know, if, if you just watch the games, I mean, he's you know, he has made the Wizards look kind of bad for giving up on him, you know, or at least kind of selling low on him uh, when they did. But you know, it was very odd. I thought that Phoenix kind of turned around, and um, you know, at the last minute was kind of shopping him around. But um, you know, I guess he's under contract there for one more year, so I guess you know, summer of 2021, the Wizards will have their shot at uh, reuniting if they want. Yeah, man, get the get the uh, get the old band back together, man. You can get uh, you can get Kelly Marquee. up here. We get Marquise, yeah. Get the get the get the whole Death Row DC band back together, man. I I, <laughs> I don't I, I don't know if that's a viable option, but I know that there is a very uh, large subsect of Wizards Twitter that uh, is smiling from ear to ear right now as we talk about it. So, guys, we went a little long with the uh, Aaron Rupar podcast. So that just means a greater benefit for the Locked On Wizards listeners because I'm going to split that podcast up into two different podcasts. So uh, we're going to end this conversation right here. And uh, tomorrow you can download and listen to a continuation of uh, the podcast with Aaron Rupar, where we dive into uh, some uh, Wizards, uh, NBC Sports Washington ratings numbers, and why the team isn't as popular as many people would like them to be. Uh, Thank you for listening, and please check out part two of the podcast with Aaron Rupar tomorrow. Chilling back, giving advice. I buy my girl shit that don't matter the price. They see that I'm taking, they try getting past. Label money, I just tell in advance. I ain't cheating, I'm just trying to dance. She just trying to have me up in the trance. I'm in a stroke like fuck it. They just trying to make some buckets. Love when I slap down my ones, but it bounced like a ball when I struck it. So if you ever see a real nigga like me, just let them live and just be how it be. Go to the club with them two and you'll see. With a J, we'll be on the same team. I want a baller like the whistles. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she went shots for the team. I was in high school with dreams. Now I'm almost looking clean. Teaching game like a dean. Coach all these girls to a ring. I want a ball, I like the whistles. Yeah, you know what I mean. When I'm blue, I'm on the net. Girl, she went shots for the team. I was in high school with dreams.